There's so much drama and intensity in these stories of Acts, it's actually nice to get a bit of a reprieve. We have a more pastoral and serene moment. It's the day of rest, it's Sabbath, a day devoted to prayer and worship, and Paul and Silas and Timothy have been directed by an angel to spend time in the very Romanized city of Philippi. This is a far cry from where we were last week. We were in Antioch at New Christians' headquarters. Instead, Philippi is one of the crown jewels of the Roman Empire. A bustling city, a rich city, a city where Roman rule is admired, but also feared. Roman soldiers commanding the streets with power and intimidation. One writer puts it this way, when a flea landed on robe, Philippi scratched itself. So it's interesting and fascinating to see the story go into this place. Paul and his culture-upending friends entering the city, and perhaps they're wondering, why did this angel, this person or vision from Macedonia send us here in this moment? And so what do, what's their first move? Do they start a strategic plan or build a fundraising campaign or talk about property and housing and mixed retail and sky rises? Nope. They long to be in a place of prayer and worship. Let's go find some people who are praying to the living God. Interestingly enough, they have to go outside of the city to find that place. And they find this fellowship of women, a riverside gathering place, maybe a rented worship synagogue where women are the leaders. It's nice to see some strong women leadership in the book of Acts because we don't have lots of examples of that just because of that era of writing and leading. So... All the women in the house say, whoa, courageous leaders, women leading the church, women leading prayer, women gathering people in, trailblazers, the movers, the shakers of Philippi. And we suspect that this is more than just a one-day gathering. It's probably several days where Paul and his friends and these inspired women are sharing stories about how God is on the move across Judea, through Samaria, stirring up this new work in Philippi. And we know how this story ends because we know that Paul writes a very loving, caring letter to the church in Philippi. And that's the church that started right here and now with Lydia and her friends. A church that supports Paul, a church that there's mutual affection for years and years, a church that Paul loves to the very end. All starts with this woman pioneer, Lydia. We read that she's a Gentile, that she's a worshiper of God, And because of Paul's teaching and conversations, she has these final steps of revelation of encountering Jesus. And we read that the Lord opened her heart. And that's a phrase that I want us to linger with a bit today. The Lord opened her heart. 
on this Sabbath Sunday, I want you to reflect on your journey. When was that time, that season, that moment when the Lord opened your heart? When you were encountering or encountered our living God through the presence and the power of Jesus. Maybe it was a moment. For some people, it's a moment. For other people, it's a season. Some people describe it as a time when their hearts were strangely warmed. Have you heard that phrase before? Hearts strangely warmed. That's from, well, probably made most famous by John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church. He has this story that he shares about his conversion, and it is a moment. He writes in his memoir, about a quarter before nine, while the speaker was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And it's good for us to reflect on these heartwarming moments because hopefully it reminds us and propels us forward that those moments aren't just for the past, but they're also for the present. God ain't done with us yet, right? So how might the Lord continue to open our hearts this day, in this season of us being the church, in this time, in this place? And in the story of Lydia's revelation, it's really compelling and, I hope, inspiring to see how her open heart is linked to hospitality. And maybe that's how we might do a heart test this morning. How are our hearts linked to hospitality? Because we read, like Don was saying this morning to the kids, that Lydia's first impulses were to use her influence and her house as a means for drawing people in. And so for these weary travelers, Paul and his friends, and for these women who gathered week after week, she was creating a home base, a headquarters for this new Christian community. Lydia is known as the first European convert, the first disciple of Jesus to spread the good news of a living God across the European frontiers. And it all starts with a meeting a prayer meeting, a home meeting. And again, we know how the story ends. The gospel, the church, the work of God keeps on spreading even to the ends of the world. All through hearts, open hearts, and hospitality. And so it makes us wonder, maybe, can hospitality and hearts really win the world? Because we live in this society today filled with so much division and heartache, whether it's coming through our social media stream or whether it's in the midst of conversations that we stumble into at work or around the supper table or at our local watering hole. Issues of confrontation and division, the widening gap, oppression, bullying. Today's story tells us that hearts And hospitality can really win the day. So I invite us all to allow the Holy Spirit to continue to push and shape and energize us. Those are the words we've been using for the Spirit all during this Acts 
sermon series, the Spirit pushing, shaping, and energizing us. What does it look like for us to walk with Lydia and try to keep up with her? Her energy, her imagination, her courage, her open hearts, and her open doors. And recognizing that this was such a way of blessing and sanctuary for those who needed it in this bustling Roman city. And if we jump ahead in today's story, after Paul and Silas have this super intense showdown in the heart of the city of Philippi, after all the dust settles, where do they run? Verse 40, they run to Lydia's house to be encouraged, to be welcomed again, and to be nurtured. So let's be those kind of people who open our hearts and think about how hospitality plays out. And you might even think about the places you're going this week. How can your open heart change the paths of lives that you encounter? How might our open heart posture and our posture of hospitality draw people in so that they might encounter Jesus this day and this week? I want you to think about it. Maybe even use a couple of minutes right now to think about that. Where are the ways that you might change a path or draw others in because of open hearts and hospitality? I want to remind you that this sanctuary, this building on 109th and Jasper is a place for open-hearted hospitality. And as we continue to regather, maybe you need a gathering space for some prayer or worship or hanging out with people that you feel might be wanting to be drawn in. Call us. Send us an email. Say, hey, I need a space there Thursday at noon because I'm drawing in people with my open-hearted hospitality. This place is meant for that. And, of course, we want to consider how we posture ourselves in conversations this week. We want to bring open-hearted, open-minded, hospitality-loving Christianity into the places that we talk about life and faith this week. In a world where it feels like the narrowing Christian story gets too much headlines, let's turn that upside down and tell these broad-minded, big-hearted stories of a loving God. And some of us, I know, are simply returning to those neighborly ways and those neighborly acts of hospitality, inviting a friend over or reaching out with a text or a phone call, starting conversations that will lead to this encounter with the living God. We've got good news to carry. Okay, and I'm not trying to guilt us into doing more stuff because I know we live full lives. And so whether you're here in person or online, I'm not saying do more so that Jesus puts a red star on your chart in his pantry. But prayer and worship. Where are those places that we can find for prayer and worship? And again, I'm not guilting you because I know that some of us come to this place because we simply need 
prayer and worship, and we're not about to start another group or another friendship or another circle of networks. Um, Sometimes I love hearing the stories of people who come to First Baptist Church because they're tired and worn out and burnt out. And maybe you've heard these stories too, but people come into this place, and because of the corporate worship that we do Sunday after Sunday, I've heard stories like this where they say, I was too tired to pray. And so just being able to come, or I was too tired to sing, but just being able to come into this place and hear others around me praying and singing and that flowing over me and ministering to me and refreshing my thirsty soul was what I needed. And so we pray that this place would continue to be that kind of place for all of us. Not a place of the wagging finger or do more stuff, but a place of worship, a place of prayer, a place of sanctuary, a place of hope and healing, nourishment, hospitality. And we'll follow Lydia, who did that. She gathered one or two friends. She found a place. They worshiped the living God in the midst of a time and a context full of hardship and intimidation. Lydia and her friends changing hearts, turning parts of their city upside down with kindness and care and hospitality. And so we pray, Spirit of the living God, keep on opening our hearts, opening our doors. Sometimes it's risky work, but it is faith-filled work where we who've had our hearts strangely warmed can bring and offer the presence of our arms wide open Jesus to friends neighbors, strangers alike. Let us continue Lydia's good-hearted, open-hearted, and hospitality work. Thanks be to God.